Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora and a very big welcome to the Kākāpō Files from RNZ. I'm Alison Balance and it's great to be back with episode 16, the long Kākāpō breeding season. It's been two weeks since my last episode and do you know what? I've been having a little Kākāpō withdrawal, but it's okay. We're going to catch up on all the news with Daryl Eason and Andrew Digby from the Department of Conservation's Kākāpō recovery team. This will include the first reveal of what the sex ratio is in the first batch of chicks to be tested. Stand by for news on how many girls and how many boys we know of so far. But first, an apology. I'm very sorry, but this episode is slightly out of date already. I know, I know, but I also know that you know how hard it is to keep up with all the news. So here's what's happened. I recorded these interviews on Monday the 15th of April. This is coming to you as soon as I can get it to you on the 16th of April. And in that time, a chick is hatched. So keep that in mind when we're talking about numbers of eggs and chicks. OK, first up, let's give Technical Officer Daryl Eason a call. Kia Daryl, and welcome back to the Kākāpō Files. Hi, Ellie. Nice to be back. So where have you been for the last couple of weeks? I've been on Anchor Island. So that's the parallel Kākāpō universe, isn't it? This podcast has focused largely on Whenua Hau, Codfish Island, but exactly the same things have been going on out on Anchor Island. That's right, yes, exactly the same things. There's actually a very similar amount of birds nesting there as well. It's been two weeks since the last episode of Kākāpō File, so I'm on the edge of my seat. Where are we up to in terms of chick numbers now? We've got 75 alive, um, 83 have hatched so far, and we've just got the three eggs left to hatch. Last time I did an episode there were 72 chicks, so there's been four hatches since we last went to air. So that'll be two on Fenoho Kuihi's two chicks, and she's looking after both of them now, and Aparima's two chicks. So we've got Aparima hatched one in her own nest a couple of nights ago, and Mila is looking after her first one that hatched on Tuesday last week. Now that means that we've also had one chick death in the last two weeks, if I get the numbers right? Yes, we have. So Pura 3, so Pura's third chick from the first clutch, died. That was actually with Pura. It had been probably one of the poorest doing chicks in hand-rearing, and it struggled on and off, but it was looking really promising once it went into the nest with Pura. It really picked up really well, but it ended up with liver problems, and we're still investigating what the actual causes of that may have been. Ah, so that was a bit unexpected? It was really unexpected, actually. I think they just probably went to go and weigh it, and it had died. 
Oh, that's very sad. But on a more positive note, you say there are still three eggs left to hatch. Whose are those and when are they due? They're Stella's. So she had the final clutch of three eggs, her second clutch, which were all fertile this time, which she had infertile the first time round. So that's great. And there is one external pipping today and should be hatching today, her first egg. And then her last egg will probably hatch around Friday. So her first and her last eggs will hatch in the incubator and one will go to Uparima. And Della will hatch her own egg in the nest, her second egg. And if she's doing really well with that in the first few days, once the third egg's hatched, then we'll move that chick out from the incubator and give to her as well. So by the end of this week, all things going well, and we know that things don't always go well, there might be 78 chicks. That's right, yes, which is quite amazing to think of it like that, isn't it? Oh, it's incredible to think of it like that. That's a 50% increase in the population if they all make it through, which we are not counting on that. Yeah, it's always tempting to think how many there are, but we really have to get through to fledging time and even just a little bit beyond that. And we are getting close to fledging for some of the first chicks, like Marama and Aparima's nests, coming out at night already. But they are a bit clumsy in their first few days when they're leaving the nest and sometimes they get caught up in things. They they get stuck because they're just not that efficient at walking around very well. So anything could happen. We do a lot of checks but you never know when that check's going to be and when something goes wrong. So those ones that are coming out for a little stumble around at night, are they putting themselves back to bed in the nest during the day? Yes, they are at the moment. So any time after about, especially around about 55, 60 days, they start coming out of their nest during the night and doing little explores. They're not usually very far away. And then from 70 days onwards, then they give up on their nest and they'll start sleeping elsewhere. And some of those nests, especially on Anchor Island, are on quite steep ground. So could be quite difficult for some of them to begin with and we're going to build little fences on the really steep locations to direct them to flatter ground so that the first thing they don't do when they come out of their nest entrance is fall down the hill and not be able to get back up again which is particularly concerning on anchor because it rains so much there if they get stuck and not be able to get back into their nest uh, they could get very wet and cold. They've got to learn what to do when it rains, don't they? They sure do, because it rains an awful lot on Anchorinet. Won't be quite such a problem on Whenuaho, though? No, not as much. Most of them all have either going to rain around the nest entrance as well, and there's nowhere near as much rain on Whenuaho, so it's a, a drier, easier-going place for them. I'm imagining a kakapo chick exploring the outside world for the first time will be a bit like a human toddler. Are they constantly putting things in their mouth, testing the things, you know, what do they feel like, what do they taste? Yes, absolutely. That sounds great. Now, on a slightly less positive note, hold on to that thought of chicks wandering around in the forest for the first time, that's a lovely one, but you have had a few medical issues since we last spoke. Yeah, one in particular is Esperance 1B, so the first chick from Esperance's second clutch, and it hatched with a bit of a blister-looking lump on the top of its skull. And I wondered what that was. 
at the beginning, but it's been going really well. It's about three weeks old now, and that little lump is not going away, and it's growing with the chick, what's staying in proportion the same size. So it was sent off to Dunedin, and it had a CT scan last week. And the skull plates haven't closed over yet, so that's a little bit of a brain protrusion. And so the vets are investigating what can be done. So watch that space at the moment. We're still not sure what's going to happen with that chick. In itself, it's doing fantastic, and there's different thoughts about whether to do it early or wait till it gets a little bit older. But it clearly can't live its life with a bit of its brain sticking out. No, it can't. At least it's had a good start and it will be in good condition to have any work done on it, if that's going to be the case. We'll be following closely, thank you. Now, I think one of Esperance 1B's siblings has also had a bit of a problem with a respiratory infection. Yeah, so that little chick, the second chick of hers, just hasn't done well and we've tried it with a couple of different mothers, Nora and Esperance, and... We thought it was the mother to begin with, it was with Nora, but we swapped chicks with Nora and she's doing really well with the chick she's got now and then it went back to Esperance and it still didn't really pick up even though her first chick was doing really well. And over time we noticed that there's a lot more respiration effort involved. Um, so that came in for hand rearing and treatment and it's doing a lot better now. I think it was probably in with medication and nebulising for about a week and that's back into a nest now and looking really good. Its growth rate is a little bit behind but making good progress so hopefully that'll pick up now. What's been happening in Hawkey's nest? I know she had three chicks there for a while. Yes she did. Um, She had three chicks and suddenly she's just really noticing a bit more work that needs to be done and um, her chicks are falling behind so We moved one chick out to another nest probably a week ago now and then the remaining two chicks sort of picked up a little bit but then started to drop back a bit. So now she just has the one chick with her. The other two chicks have gone to to two other nests. So she's going to be caught up probably today and have a health check and blood taken and just make sure she is okay. She's certainly right on the edge of her weight, she's just under a kilogram, I think, so it's, it's really hard work for their mums. Yeah, she's been run quite a bit ragged by trying to feed those three big heifalumps in her nest. Yeah, they're all heavier than her. So, yeah, we just have to make sure she's OK, and, and hopefully she will be, and she'll continue to at least raise Pearl's chick. She's not going to appreciate being caught to have her bloods taken, you know that. No, she won't. Um, (laughs) On hockey, she's very um, protective of her nest, so it's usually easy to catch her. You just need to go right up to her nest and she'll come running out and being very protective. So it should be straightforward, but she won't be pleased about it. Now, on the last episode of the Kākāpō Files, Andrew said the males were stopping booming and there was quite a lot of visiting and activity and scraking going on. I understand that Arab has come off a little worse for the wear. Yes, at the end of the booming, they always spend a lot more time arguing with each other and yelling and and fighting. And so Arab, Luke and Joe, who all live and boom near each other, have been doing quite a bit of fighting. And Arab has 
reasonable injuries on his face, especially his eye, which he damaged over 20 years ago now in a big fight on Hoturu. And his eyelids are quite badly ripped, so he can't close his eye and cover his eye. And his weight's down a bit, and a few scars, more scars on top of his head. So he got sent up to Auckland Zoo last week, and they're just assessing him now and working out whether to try and repair the eyelid or actually take out the eye. At least he's damaged his already damaged eye and hasn't damaged his good eye. That's right, yes. And I think they also just want to just, just double-check to his vision on his good eye first before they decide on that final step, if they have to remove that damaged eye or not. Poor old Arab, that's the price you pay for being a bit of a scrapper. It is indeed. (laughs) He certainly has looked the worst for wear for quite a long time now with those permanent scarring on his head. But yeah, hopefully he recovers all right. He seems to be a good patient so far and is doing reasonably well up in Auckland. Excellent. Now, it's time for some big news. So we've all been on the edges of our seats wanting to know more information about these chicks. So what are their sexes? And in some cases, who are their dads? I gather you now know what the sexes of some of them are. Yeah, we know the sex of 49 of the living chicks at the moment. So currently we have 22 females and 27 males. So slightly skewed to the boys, but not too bad. Yeah, not too bad at all, is it? We know the sex of six of the chicks that died also, so two females and four males died. So we've still got another 37, assuming the last three eggs hatched, 37 still to sex. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're a bit more skewed towards the female being the later chicks, when the females, the mums, are a bit lighter condition. So obviously you're going to have to wait for the last chicks to hatch before you can even send their little samples off to be tested? Yes, I think we're about to send another 24 samples away this week and then we'll be waiting for those last ones to hatch. And two of them are actually hatching in the nest so we won't be able to get the easy egg membranes that we can collect after they hatch immediately. We'll have to wait till they get a bit older and collect a little bit of blood from them. Thanks, Daryl. That was Daryl Eason from Doc's Kākāpō Recovery Team. Before we catch up with Andrew Digby, I want to find out how you sex a kākāpō chick. You probably already know this, but you can't sex most birds just by looking at them. They don't have handy external sex organs like we humans do. You need to look at the chromosomes. Genetic work in kākāpō and how to sex them was pioneered by Professor Bruce Robertson at the University of Otago, And this year, it's been carried out by a different team of people at Ag Research. Time to give Jean Jacobs a call. Kia ora and a big welcome to the Kākāpō Files. Hello. Now, can you explain to me who you are and what your role with the Kākāpō programme is? My name is Jean Jacobs and I'm a scientist at Ag Research based in Lincoln and I am in the genomics and genetics space. We're helping Doc with determining the parentage and the gender of the newly hatched chicks of the 2018-2019 breeding season. Well, this is always an exciting moment, discovering how many girls there are and how many boys. So I've talked to Daryl about what the findings are so far, and it is only some of the chicks, and so I know you've got more to go. So 
How do you go about sexing a kākāpō chick? Well, the first thing we need to do is to extract DNA from a small sample that we get that Doc sends us. And then in this case, for the gender, we do a PCR, a polymerase chain reaction. So we target a very specific bit of the kakapo genome. And then depending on the fragment that we get back, we either know it's a male or it's a female. And I must admit, this is an essay that we didn't develop. It was developed by Professor Bruce Robertson at the University of Otago. And we, he very kindly gave us all the information to, uh, to be able to do that. So what I understand is that, particularly for the chicks that have hatched in incubators, they just get a bit of the the membrane from inside the egg and that's what they give you to work with. Exactly, yes. yeah. And what are the bits of DNA that you need to look at, the bits of genetic code that actually help you determine that? Because obviously the kākāpō genome is quite big and you're just looking at some little key bits, is that right? That's correct. So it's a, it's a tiny bit that sits on uh, the sex chromosome, so it's that determines whether it's a boy or it's a girl. And in, in birds, it's actually the other way around than in humans. In birds, you have the girls having two different sex chromosomes and the boys having two the same. While in humans, it's exactly the other way around. We have an X and a Y in a male and an X and an X in a female. So we know that uh, from the, the bits that we managed to extract out by this uh, PCR reaction, whether we have a boy or we have a girl, because there's a slightly different fragment that comes out. For those of us who aren't genomics people or genetics people, can you very quickly explain the PCR reaction for me? We are targeting a very specific bit in the genome. We have the sequence for that. And what we then do is we design short bits of DNA that will latch on to the DNA that we have in our tube. And then we do um, a chemical reaction that extends that short bit into a full-length bit. And we do that multiple times. We go from one copy of DNA to making two, to making four, to making eight, 16, to a point where we get so much that we can actually visualize it. And we run that out on a gel under, under a current, and we can then see a band appear on a gel, and the size of the band will then tell us whether it's a boy or it's a girl. How quickly can you do this? Is this something that takes minutes or hours or days? From a bit of membrane that needs DNA extraction to having the result, if you put your shoulders under it, you can do it in a day, but usually we say a few days. We can easily do it within a week because you have, of course, not one sample, you have multiple samples. So there's, there's multiple DNA extractions that you have to perform. Thanks, Jean. That was Jean Jacobs from Ag Research. And as well as having more kākāpō chicks still to sex, she and the team are also working on determining paternity. I'll let you know as soon as I can who the definite dads are, and especially if any of the artificial insemination has worked. Now let's catch up with Andrew Digby, Doc's Kākāpō Recovery Program scientist. I spoke with him about an hour before he got on the plane to go back to Fenuahau. Kia ora and welcome back to the Kākāpō Files, Andrew. Kia ora, Alison. The sex ratios of the chicks, we haven't got all of them yet, but how are you feeling about that? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's close to the sort of 50% that we would like, male to female ratio. How does that compare to other years? You've had years where you've had lots more males, but one year once I think you had a, quite a few females? Yeah, that's right. And in more recent years, we tend to have had a more balanced sex ratio. And now that we, we have the supplementary feeding sort of optimised and we put the females on a bit of a diet so they're not too heavy and they don't produce too many male chicks. 
So just remind me about what was happening there. It was found that the more that the females were fed or the heavier the females were, the more likely they were to have male chicks. And it seems to be a manifestation of, of what's known as sex allocation theory, whereby if a female has too many reserves or is in too good a condition, then she's more likely to produce males um, for a species like Kakapo, a leg-breeding species. And of course you want 50-50, or preferably maybe a few more girls. Actually, we don't really know what the optimal ratio is. We kind of guess that 50-50 is about right. Um, we certainly don't want too many males. On the other hand, you do need a decent number of males to be able to produce competition at the leks, to be able to encourage the females to go visit in the first place. So, yeah, it's a bit of a guessing game, but that's what we're aiming for is around about 50-50. Now, let's have a chat about the, the hatch dates because we've commented in previous episodes about what a drawn-out breeding season this is, and it really is, isn't it? Yeah, it's been going on for a long time, it seems. So, you know, we had our first matings before Christmas, the first chick hatched on the 30th of January, which was the earliest a chick had ever hatched by... By more than two weeks, the next earliest was, um, I think, the 17th of February in 2016. So, yeah, it's been an early season, but it's also been a late season because here we are in mid-April and we still have some chicks to hatch. Yeah, so it holds the record for the earliest hatch and the latest hatch. That's quite some record, along with all the other records, of course. Yeah, it actually doesn't quite hold the record for the latest hatch yet. I think that will pass on Wednesday, so, but we probably should get there. I think in 2002 there was a bird hatched on the 17th of April, but we have one predicted to hatch, I think, today and on the 17th and on the 19th, so it's likely to be the earliest and the latest hatches in the breeding season. And that's come about as a result of the double clutching that we've done. That's the reason why we've had such late hatchings, otherwise it would have been quite an early season. The chicks are getting quite big, most of them. Obviously, there are still some chicks hatching, so it's, this isn't across the board. But in the nests where the chicks are getting quite big now, what's going on? What's the daily or rather nightly routine? The mother's away from the nest for, for most of the time, especially when there's two or three chicks in the nest. There's actually not a lot of room for the mother. Plus, she has to do a lot of work trying to feed those those big chicks. So she'll often be away for nearly all of the time come back for about 10 minutes or so and then head away again. And often at this stage as well, they'll sometimes be roosting outside of the nest too, so she won't necessarily be spending the day with them either. And just to give you some context for how big these chicks are, I was looking at Hawkey's chicks recently, and I think about a week or so ago she had four kilograms worth of chicks to feed. That was three chicks weighing a total of just over four kilograms, and she herself was only just over one kilogram. So that's an awful lot of work. No wonder she's spending all that time away finding food for the hungry mouths. Yeah, exactly. We're lucky that there's the right remove this year. That's why we've been able to have two and three chick nests. There's no way with supplementary food only would, would we be able to do that. Now, in terms of what the males have been doing during the breeding season, we know that they've been pretty much spending every night sitting in their bowl booming, hopefully. But you've also been eavesdropping on them a little bit. Tell me about the GPS transmitters you've been using. Yes, so in uh, October we fitted GPS uh, loggers to some males and we fitted some to females um, in November. So we have about just under 40 GPS loggers on Kakapur on Fenua and we're actually something we've been trialling over the last couple of years. And we're, we're trying to do this to, to understand more about Kakapur spatial behaviour, more about where they go at different times of year and what they get up to. We know a bit about that, but it's actually really hard to track Kakapo at night without that sort of technology. But now we actually get 
with these GPS loggers, we're getting hourly fixes throughout the night. So we're getting a really detailed picture of, of what Kakapo are doing. So do you have any of that data yet? Do you know what some of them were doing? Yes, we have some. I haven't analysed it yet, but I've just had a, a bit of a look at it. And it's really interesting to see the females, what they're doing. So they're in their home range, and then we get to see them move around the bowls. And, and we can actually see that coinciding with the matings that we know from the SART transmitters. It's giving us a much better picture on the amount of space that a female needs is using over a breeding season. So that's going to be really important in future into looking for future sites and to trying to understand just how full our current islands are. So when a female visits the track and bowl area, where there's a number of track and bowls, the arena, uh, does she do a direct beeline to the male? Has she sort of already picked who she wants? Is she, or is she cruising around prospecting? Yeah, we, we don't have the full picture from our GPS yet because I haven't looked at it properly. But I think what I've seen so far is that she actually might go straight to one or two males and doesn't actually go around lots of them. It seems like she kind of knows where she wants to go. And there's been a bit of work, or quite a lot of work done on this in the past. Uh, Lee Joyce did her PhD on this back in the late 90s. So we do, we do know quite a bit from earlier telemetry work, but we're going to be getting a sort of a different scale of resolution with this GPS data. Now, you've just had a really busy weekend in Invercargill with a, a public viewing of the chicks there. So how did that go? Yeah, it went really well. Yeah, so we had chicks open to public viewing. We had Saturday, Sunday, and also today, Monday as well. So we've had, they've been fully booked. We've had lots and lots of people coming through and then seeing the seven chicks that we've got on display there. We had a sort of a few on display each time. And, yeah, it's fantastic to see people seeing Kakapo for the first time. And especially when they're at this stage, they're about couple of months old, it's sort of 60 days or so, and they're just, they look pretty cute. They're like sort of bimbling puppies at the moment, and they're very cool to see. So they just bumble around doing their thing and people get to watch them for a little while? Yeah, that's right, and they're sort of, you know, climbing on things and being a little bit uncoordinated, which is quite cool to see. It's cool to see them sort of exploring their environment. So you've got seven chicks left in the cargo, you say. Uh, what's going to happen with those? When are they going to go back to an island? So they will go back to the island soon. In fact, we are sending probably three out to Fenuaho this Wednesday, so just in a couple of days' time. And they will go into a weaning pen for about a month. So that's where they learn to live in the wild because they haven't lived outside before even. So they don't know how to climb trees yet. They don't know what rain is. And so they have to learn lots of skills quite quickly. And that's where we go through the process of weaning them off the artificial food that we've been feeding them and onto natural food so they learn how to browse on vegetation. So do you even have to do rain training, like go out in a rainstorm and perhaps push them under a bush and it's like this is a better place for you to be rather than sitting out in the open getting wet? Yeah, that's right. We do that if, if necessary. And we do actually do a little bit of rain training before they go actually in the hand-wearing facility. We do spray water on them every now and again to, and then encourage them to go into cover just to teach them what to do. Oh, lovely. What other things do you do with them to prepare them for the wild? I think one of the main things that we, we try and help with as well is just to give them things to climb onto and things to explore. Within a few months, they'll be climbing 20, 30 metres up a tree, or that's what they should be doing by the time they're an adult, certainly. So, yeah, it's that, so those sort of skills and the balance and, and sort of learning how to uh, cope with, with, I guess, the New Zealand bush is it's quite a big skill. We have in the past have had kakapo get stuck, the juveniles get stuck in funny places, sometimes get stuck in a swamp or up a tree. So we have to keep a close eye on them for the, for the first few months after they fledge so just to make sure they're not getting into trouble. 
Yeah, because they don't have their mum with them. Because in the wild nest, mum sticks around with the juveniles for a little while, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. And she can actually stick around for a long time, up to maybe up even as much as six months. So the hand-reared chicks, when they're on their own, um, have got a lot to do. But fortunately this year, we've, we've got very few hand-reared chicks. You know, we've just got the seven. And um, so that's quite a, a remarkably small number, considering we've got, at the moment, 68 of them in nests. Cheers, Andrew. That was Kākāpō scientist Andrew Digby. And I confessed at the beginning of the show that real life has once again slightly overtaken me, so confirming for you that there are currently 76 living kākāpō chicks, and everything going well, there should be 78 by Friday the 19th of April, but you'll have to wait another two weeks for me to confirm that for you in the next episode. And of course remember, we can't count the chicks until they fledge. Keep your fingers crossed though. It's been a delight, as always, to have your company and to get your feedback. You'll find the podcast at rnz.co.nz slash as well as on your favourite podcast app. I'm on Twitter. Just search for Alison Balance. Please share the podcast with all your friends who are into birds, natural history, conservation and just feel-good reality podcasts. Take care and I'll catch you again with a new episode of the Kākāpō Files in a fortnight. I'm Alison Balance. Māori ora. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.